Hey, good morning, church. It's wonderful to worship and just have a bit of space and time. <laughs> Lovely hearing your voices as we sing too, as our voices, as uh, Kathy said, are all a bit bit croaky this morning. Just uh, wanted to also thank you for those who've been uh, praying for us as a family. We've been quite sick, uh, particularly this last week. Um, I just want to share a little little story before I get going, and that is... Our kids often ask for dessert. Whose kids always ask for dessert, right? And uh, when you're unwell and you're feeling extremely tired, that sort of thing is kind of not a priority. And one particular evening this week, Joe and I were very weary and tired and unwell, and the kids said, can we have dessert? It's like, not tonight. You know, it's just not going to work tonight. Can we have a cake? No, sorry. What if we make it? Like... And then just the thought of like flour and cocoa everywhere and we're trying to clean up when you're tired. No, sorry. Like, could we please have cake? They said, sorry, kids, no cake tonight. Ten minutes later, there's a knock at our door and there's a member of our congregation with two massive cakes in their hands. How amazing is that? Uh, just incredible the way <laughs> the kids were asking for that. And then part of being a community, part of God working through us is that he answered the kids' prayers in cake. And uh, I, I think Paul had a few uh, spiritual gifts not listed in his writings. I think the, the gift of cake giving was not mentioned there because that was clearly a spiritual gift at work. So thank you for the person who did it who's here and you know who you are. We really appreciate it. Um, so this morning, um, you might have noticed we've sort of shuffled around our plan. We'd normally have a time of corporate prayer before the word, but we wanted to shift that to afterwards because we felt like that really fitted in with uh, the message this morning. Um, and so I've been told that I have to be uh, brief this morning. <laughs> yes, that's a joke. Um, so, no, no. <laughs> okay, so I've already been rabbiting on about cake, so let's get into it. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you're with us. We thank you uh, for your word, uh, and we just pray now, Lord, that that word uh, go forth and bear fruit, that it not come back to you empty. Uh, speak to each and every one of us, touch our lives, just as Wayne prayed this morning, that we would draw closer to you uh, in this time together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We are in the middle of a teaching series on the book of Acts. Uh, if you're watching online for the first time and you're joining us, welcome to you. Uh, if you're a guest here, uh, we have been traveling through the book of Acts, going chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And really the whole point of this was to see how the early church really got hold of the gospel, and it made a difference in the world around us. That's our vision for this year. We're wanting to make a difference in our own lives, in our church, and in the world around us. So what, a, what an amazing way to look at the early church and, and how they, they did that. And we are up to Acts chapter 18. So if you've got your Bibles, feel free to open them up. If you've got them on your phones, I won't be offended if you're looking at your phone as I preach. That's okay. I'll trust that you're reading the Bible with me. Just to recap, we're in the second, uh, we're in the, the middle of the second missionary journey in the book of Acts. We've had the, the first missionary journey with Paul and Barnabas. Uh, now Barnabas has gone off with John Mark and Paul and Silas and Timothy, uh, heading into Europe. And, uh, 
sent out from the church in Antioch. The, the Antioch church was the sending out missionary church who, who sent the, the missionaries out and they, they, they headed and they, they wanted to head into Asia, but uh, the Holy Spirit kept preventing them from doing that. But they kept pushing forward into the open doors that the Lord was leading them in. And they had this vision from a man from Macedonia. So they, they head over to Macedonia uh, into Philippi and it's there that they're, they're, they're imprisoned. And Paul and Silas, that famous passage where they're, they're singing uh, hymns and, and the earthquake happens and they're, they're set free and the jailers saved through that time. They head to Thessalonica um, and they start a church there. But as with all of the missionary journeys, there is, there is a, a system that happens. They enter a town, they talk to people, some people believe, and, but pretty much the Jewish people are aggravated and uh, are upset with Paul and the missionary team. And so they, they flee into a next city, but then the mob follow them along the road to where they are. And so that happens in Berea. They flee Thessalonica, head into Berea. The Berean Christians welcome uh, the word. They search the scriptures. That's a word for you. Search the scriptures as we as we go through to see that it, what we're saying is true. And then because of the mob, they send Paul down to Athens. And Paul is on his own. Uh, Timothy and Silas stay uh, there in Macedonia. And Paul is on his own and he has that famous thing we did last week, uh, at Mars Hill where he walks around and he sees all of the idols and he's troubled and he, he's stressed over the city. And as I, I thought of that uh, this week, I was just reminded of how Jesus was there on the Mount of Olives and he wept over Jerusalem uh, for the, the city that Jerusalem was supposed to be, the light to the nations, the, to, to bring people into right relationship with God. And how he wept over that city and, and Paul weeps over the city. He wasn't surprised. He was, he was sickened by what he saw. That's what we did last week. And so he's, he's there by himself. And now we're going to uh, head to Corinth uh, in our chapter this week. And amazing thing as we, we look at these missionary journeys and, and the context of what was happening in those towns and the type of towns that they were, it gives us a better insight when we read Paul's letters to those towns. As he writes to Thessalonians and as he writes to the Corinthians, we understand the background behind why he's writing when we see some of the things that are happening. So a bit of difference between Athens and Corinth. Athens was a very intellectual town. It was very philosophical. Uh, we talked about the, uh, the Stoic and the Epicurean philosophies that were there. The Epicureans were about, hey, life's short, play hard, just get as much pleasure as you can in life. And the Stoics were about, well, to, to make the world a better place, we've got to better ourselves and we've got to work hard and, and, and be good and upright people. And I said last week, does that remind you of our society? <laughs> Two very similar things. Well, in Corinth, we have another thing that might remind you of our society. Corinth was a very affluent city. It was a city of commerce. It was situated perfectly for a trade route uh, in fact, um, I can't really see it here, but rather than having to sail around here to get up to, to Athens and Macedonia, you could come into this port in Corinth and, and you could walk your ship on rollers across 
across the land and, and, and put the ship on the other side to get up into Athens and other areas. So it was a, it was a city of commerce and with uh, wealth comes abundant lifestyle, comes indulgent lifestyle. And that's what Corinth was known for. It was known to be a city of uh, over-exuberance and over-indulgence. Um, that's the word. Thank you. In fact, if you were to act Corinthian, was to act like you were a low-life, immoral, or a debauched person. We don't use that word very much, do we? Debauched. But that's the picture of, that we have in Corinth. And so Paul is now going to head into this city, a city very much like perhaps a city that we see in our own world where people's wealth uh, leads them into a lifestyle of excess. So let's look at the chapter. So Acts chapter 18, verse 1. After this being in Athens, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Now, for all of you closet history buffs, and I know there's heaps of you in the room, um, what what Luke is doing here is he's actually describing something that that happened. The the Roman emperor, there was a, a riot in Rome that happened and Claudius, the the emperor, ordered all the Jews out of Rome. And this was documented by Jewish historians. Uh, Suetonius and Tacitus both mention this uh, in the year 52 AD. And so what I love about this is that this gives us insight into Luke's uh, historical um, diligence in what he, he describes in the book of Acts. So this is an actual thing that happened. And so the Christians are leaving Rome all over this man called Christ. Suetonius talks about this man called um, called Crustus, and it's a a mispronunciation of Christos, of the word of Christ. So there's this this riot, there's this talk amongst the Jews and the the Christians over who this man Jesus is and what he has done, and and the emperor is just so sick of it that he orders them all out. Now, interesting note, Who was it who went to Rome to start the church? Because Priscilla and Aquila are Christians coming from Rome to Corinth. We don't know, do we? But we do know that at Pentecost, Jews from the surrounding regions were there to hear Peter's sermon and 3,000 were added to the church. Then other people, not mentioned in the Bible, were sent out and start churches. Isn't that an amazing thing? What a blessing that we do have what's recorded by Luke and understanding the early church. But there was a lot going on in that time and other things were happening in the region. So churches were formed in Rome before Paul got there, but they're, they're now persecuted and they're, they're Priscilla and Aquila, along with others, are there in Corinth. So Paul went to see them because he was a tent maker as they were and he stayed and worked with them. And every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogues. There's that, that strategy again, trying to persuade the Greeks. Now, remember, Paul is now alone. His, his, his missionary team is no, no longer with him. 
And what I see here is that Paul is actually seeking out community. He's seeking out like-minded people. And he finds, uh, as a tent maker, he's needing to make income while he's in Corinth to support his ministry. And so he probably goes to the tent maker's convention and there he bumps into Aquila and Priscilla and he goes, wow, your name's Rhyme. You're pretty, <laughs> it's like, you're pretty cool. Oh, and you believe in Jesus too. Let me latch on to you. And so he, he forms a new community because Silas and Timothy are no longer with him. But a little interesting thing about uh, the description of Aquila and Priscilla. So Aquila is the man, Priscilla is the woman. Now they are mentioned eight times in the book of Acts. Twice, Aquila is first, and six times, Priscilla is first. I remember when I was talking about um, when you give lists of names of people, you always make the important people first. And in the early parts of Acts, Paul was at the end of those lists of names of people. And, and as his importance grew, he's at the start of those lists. What's really interesting here is that here's a couple, a man and a wife, who are really going to be used for for the purposes of the Lord. Now, why does Luke put Priscilla's name first many times? It could possibly be that she had an important family and therefore the importance of family put her first. But I like to think, and I, I know I'm putting into this, but I like to think maybe she had ministry gifts that were important for the the use of the gospel in in Paul's life, that she um, had an important role to play in the spread of the gospel in those areas. What an amazing thing. So it's a bit like saying when you talk about, like, myself and my wife in the church, you'd say, well, well, Joe and Sam uh, are doing things, acknowledging that Joe has more ministry gifts than than Sam. So that's, that's an example of what you see here. So Priscilla and Aquila, but but these are tent makers just like Paul, and so he's, he's building community because he is alone. But every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue. Isn't it interesting? He doesn't debate. He doesn't shut them down. He doesn't ridicule, but he reasons with the Jews. And then when Silas and Timothy come from Macedonia... So now he's got his life group back. Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. So quite clearly, Paul and Silas have have set up churches in Thessalonia and uh, Berea and other places in Macedonia. And as part of setting up the churches, they've said, look, Paul is doing an amazing job uh, sharing the gospel, going into new, new ground, it would be great if we could support him. So he is needing to be a tent maker, but now when Silas and Timothy comes, he is now able to devote 100% of his time to the spread of the gospel. Why? Because the churches have given him financial gifting in order for him to do that. So, But when these Jews opposed Paul and became abusive. He shook off his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. For now I'll go to the Gentiles. Pretty amazing reaction here from Paul, isn't it? Uh, He was a Jew and he loved to go to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. And now he's so frustrated that these, as he's reasoning with them, as he's saying, this is the Messiah, Jesus, 
and you're just not understanding it. He was so frustrated that he, he had a reaction that was kind of out of character for Paul. Where he shook off the dust of his cloaks. There's an Old Testament picture where he'd shake off this, the, the Jews would shake off the dust of the, the Gentiles so they didn't have to have anything to do with him, with the, the purity of the Jews. And so here he's making a statement, well, I'm, I'm not going to let your, your blockage, your religion, your, your, your culture, your religiosity get in the way of the purity of the gospel. gospel. I'm going to the Gentiles because they're able to be, receive this thing. So, so he says, I'm not going to talk to you Jews anymore. Bit of a spoiler alert. He does talk to the Jews later on. <laughs> it's just an indication of, of where he was at. He was in a mental and emotional hard place. He'd been travelling for a long time. And if we actually look at the fruitfulness of the ministry up until now, yes, people have come to the gospel. What does not like potentially the first missionary journey? In Athens, a handful of people came to faith, uh, Lydia and her household. Um, but it's not the, the, the Lord added to their number daily kind of ministry. And so you can imagine Paul there alone in Corinth having to make tents, feeling discouraged, feeling tired, worn out, maybe asking the Lord, what on earth is going on? These Jews are all against me. Everywhere I go, I'm persecuted to the point where I'm thrown in jail. Sometimes I'm stoned almost to death. And you can imagine, can't you, maybe he's feeling like giving up. Maybe it's just all too hard. This is a frustrated response. So Paul is sad because he's realising something that he wrote in the letter to the Corinthians, that we preach Christ crucified, which is a stumbling block to the Jews. It, they, they can't get their heads around it because their religion and their culture is getting in the way of seeing the truth. And it's foolishness to the Gentiles. Who is this Jesus you're talking about who's raised from the dead? What You're a babbler. He was, <laughs> he was accused of in Athens. I often think that we have stumbling blocks when it comes to faith. Perhaps our own upbringing, our own church traditions, just like the Jews, can sometimes stop us from actually acknowledging what is true revelation, what is Jesus actually saying through his word. And I've said that previously uh, in this series. Maybe our own church upbringing and culture and traditions are actually stopping us from actually seeing the truth of life in the spirit and life as a Christian. In fact, I came across this great picture. Tradition, just because you've always done it that way doesn't mean it's not incredibly stupid. (laughs) Being chased by bulls. But we can, can't we? We can, our own concept, our own uh, rituals. We come to church, we sing, we pray, we listen to something, we go home. That is that 
even that getting in the way of actually receiving the word, actually receiving a touch from the Lord and the Spirit. So Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titus Justus, a worshipper of God. Now Crispus was the synagogue leader. So he's the Jewish leader in Corinth of the Jews. And his entire household believed in the Lord and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptised. Now here we see a very common phrase in Luke's writings. I want you to think back or think forward to the amount of times you hear Luke say entire household. And when Luke says they believed and were baptised. Now some say, well, when an entire household is, believes, what, what, what's actually happening is the leader of the household believes and therefore his salvation covers the rest of the household. Now I don't subscribe to that. I don't believe that that's a, the truth. What I see happening is that households and communities were so close in those days. They didn't have TVs. They didn't have, have iPhones they talked to one another, they knew one another, they lived together in close connection with one another and because they were so close, when something happened to one of them, it had a ripple effect on the rest of the household. And so when Cornelius believes, his whole household believes and same with Lydia. So Crispus, the synagogue leader, believes and his household is affected, his whole household. Not only that, but they are baptised. Now, I, Wayne talked about baptism. We've had a request for baptism in the life of the church. And if you haven't yet been baptised, I did a quick search in the book of Acts on baptism. Now, there are many times that this phrase is done. I've only got ten for you this morning, okay? So here we go. Acts chapter 2, Peter replied, repent and be baptised. That's the, the, the message at Pentecost, Acts chapter 8, but when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news in the kingdom of God and in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptised, both men and women. Acts chapter 8, as they walked, this is Philip and the eunuch, they travelled along the road, they came to some water, the eunuch said, look, here's some water, what can stand in the way of me being baptised? Acts chapter 9, immediately something like scale fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again, he got up and was baptised. Acts chapter 10, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptised. This is Peter talking in Cornelius' house. They receive the Spirit just as we have. Number six, when she and the members of her household were baptised, she invited us to her home. This is the jailer now. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them, washed their wounds, then immediately took their household, were baptised. Crispus, the synagogue leader, this is ours for today, believed and was baptised. On hearing this, they were baptised in the name of the Lord Jesus. And how's this one to finish? Now, what are you waiting for? (laughs) What are you waiting for? Get up, be baptised, wash your sins away, calling on his name. If you haven't been baptised and you're reading this book of Acts and you're doing this teaching series with us, you cannot get away from believers coming to faith, then getting baptised as a step of that faith, as an acknowledgement of what God has done in your life. 
Baptism is not a form of salvation. It is an, an, inward re, an outward sign of an inward reality. God has done something in your hearts, and so you outwardly share that with those around you. So one night, so here's Paul in, in a frustrated state, maybe tired, maybe even a bit sick, and he's needing a touch from the Lord. He's needing something to, to motivate him to keep going in the ministry. And the Lord is gracious. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision, do not be afraid, keep on speaking. Can you imagine he'd want to stop speaking? <laughs> Beaten up, harassed. Do not be silent, for I am with you. How many times has the Lord said that to a prophet? <laughs> do not be afraid, for I am with you. And no one is going to attack and harm you. Wow. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? That's, that's been his experience up until now, hasn't it? Everyone's attacking him and harming him, but no one is going to attack and harm you. Why? Because I have many people in this city. The Lord is saying, you have work to do because there are people in this city who need to be saved. So this had an effect on Paul because he stayed in Corinth for a year and a half. Now, up until now, this is the longest he has stayed in any city. It's the second longest in his total. He would be in Ephesus for longer. But up until now, this is the longest time. So obviously this word from the Lord had an effect on Paul to enable him to be encouraged, to be built up, to be strengthened, to stay. Why? Because there were many people in the city. There was work to be done. Now, why were there many people in Corinth? Well, it was a big city, so there were many numbers of people. But I like to think if Corinth represented a city of affluence and wealth and excess... I would like to think that perhaps many people saw the emptiness that that sort of life brings. When we see celebrities give testimony about their lives, so often they say, you know, I had the women, I had the cars, I had the wealth, I had the fame, yet I was left feeling empty. That life didn't satisfy. There was something inside that I was searching for that, that everything that I had could not bring. I reckon that was a bit like that in Corinth. There was a whole heap of people who had everything that they could, yet it didn't satisfy. So Paul is needing encouragement. He actually wrote to the Corinthians and he said, When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to the testimony about God. I came to you in weakness, great fear. And trembling. Wow. <clears throat> this is Paul. I don't know about you, but I'm really encouraged by that. We see Paul as this amazing preacher, apostle, missionary, amazing gifts and skills, able to perform miracles. And we think, oh, wow, I could never attest to that. But now we're seeing a human side to Paul. We're seeing Paul in weakness and in fear. And in trembling. And so the Lord says, fear not. Now, I have to move on. How is he going to be saved from the persecution? What I love 
is the way the Lord uses the surrounding circumstances and what's happening to bring about his purposes. He doesn't just use the church. He uses unbelievers as well. Now, while Galileo was pro-council, he's the governor of the whole of Greece. He's the, the Roman governor of this region. Now, while he was the governor, the Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul and brought him in the place of judgment. This man, they, they charged, is persuading people to worship gods in ways contrary to the law. Now, there were certain religions that were lawful under, under Roman law. So uh, Judaism was one of those religions. And what the, the accusation is, is that, that Paul is actually preaching a religion that's not a lawful religion. Do you remember back in Acts 15, we're talking about the Council of Jerusalem, and we discovered that the church actually separated from Judaism at that point? You didn't need to become a Jew first to become a Christian. You could just become a Christian. And so in actual fact, they're telling the truth in that this new religion, this new movement, wasn't actually a lawful um, religion. Yet, what happens is the the council, the, the governor says, Paul was about to defend himself, but he doesn't have to, because God uses this ruler to say, well, if you Jews are making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to. In other words, if this is a, a social thing, a thing about our laws in Rome, sure, bring it to me. But because it's some theological religious squabble, I don't want to have anything to do with it. Go away. And so settle this matter yourselves, and I will not judge such things. So he drove them off. Now, remember, Christos, uh, Crispus was the synagogue leader, and he became a Christian. So now they need a new synagogue leader. So we've got a new guy, Sosthenes, and he's not doing a very good job according to the Jews because they wanted him to like be the man to get Paul out of the town. And because it didn't work, they turned on him and beat him up. And Galileo showed no concern whatsoever. Now, what's actually happening here is that the Roman authorities are giving Paul a permanent missionary visa because they're saying he is free to now travel all of the the areas of under Roman occupation because if... If Galileo said, yes, you're right, let's put him in prison, he's preaching a law that's not okay, that possibly, although I reckon Paul still would have (laughs) preached it regardless, would have made things very difficult. But now he's got a permanent missionary visa from the authorities. Remember the Lord spoke to him and said, you will not be harmed and, and you'll be able to go because I've got many in the city, and he uses the Roman authorities to do such thing. Isn't that cool? So Sosthenes, poor Sosthenes is beaten up, but what's pretty amazing is when we read the first um, chapter of Corinthians, if you, if you go to Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1, Sosthenes is there mentioned as a brother. 
So he too turns to Christ and is saved. So Paul stayed in Corinth for some time and then left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Centuria because of a vow he had taken. Now, many people uh, speculate as to what vow that was. Most scholars would say it was the Nazarite vow, uh, a vow where you would cut your hair and, and... shave it and not cut it until the end of the vow. And this vow was uh, one of abstinence, abstinence of things like alcohol. And you might think, well, maybe Paul was seeing the indulgence of that and said, well, maybe I don't want to be part of anything like that and see the difference by taking this vow. But really the Nazarite vow was a vow of thanksgiving. When God has done something in your life significant, you take this vow to say thanks for what he's done. So what has God done significant for Paul? He has restored him in his strength to go on. From the time where he was alone, depressed, worn out, God spoke to him and gave him the strength to continue on. And then he sailed and set sail from to Ephesus. I in this bit, yep. Pretty interesting, he goes there to spend more time in the synagogue and they asked him to spend more time with them, but he declined. Isn't that interesting? But he promised he'll come back and he does come back as the Lord wills to Ephesus in his third missionary journey. And then he sailed back to Antioch. And that finishes our second missionary journey. Now, you might have some more Verses in Acts chapter 18, the the people who put the Bible together, verses and chapters, probably should have ended it there because that's a great cutoff before he starts his next missionary journey. But because of time, I just want to move on to coming back to the word that the Lord gave to Paul. See, Paul was potentially down and out. Paul was lonely probably why he latched on to Priscilla and Aquila. He was a single man. And beaten up, harassed, always got at. And he needs a word from the Lord to speak to him to enable him to go forward. Now I had a a similar time in my life, in my ministry life. Um, I spent five years in, in Bible college and then my first missionary, missionary, my first ministry role was to be a youth pastor in a local uh, Baptist church near where we lived. And I was there for six months and things were starting to get tough. The, the joy of this was starting to wear off. And things were happening in the church where there was a, a split and there were those who were for the pastor and there were those who were against the pastor. And because I had trained at the same place that the pastor had trained at and it wasn't a proper Baptist training, you know, am I with him, am I with them? And all this stuff was happening in the background of the church. And I enjoyed the, the youth ministry and the, the, the joy of that, but there was, there was stuff going on that was really, really tough and hard. And I remember... One day, 
walking over to the park across from the church and sitting down on the park bench. And I took with me my Bible that was my Bible that I got at the graduation of Kids Club of the church that I was part of in 1990. And so many times the Lord's spoken to me through this Bible. And I remember at Bible college they said, you know what, when you're seeking a, a word from the Lord, when you're wanting to be touched and, and hearing from him, don't ever just open up your Bible and point at a verse. The Lord never does that and speaks to you like that because you might, you might point at a verse that says Judas went and hanged himself or something like that, and you don't want to follow that. That's not from the Lord. Um, and so I remember that. I was like, oh, I can't do that, but I just... I'm, I'm hurting and I, I just I need encouragement. Lord, am I in the right place? Am I doing the right thing? This is tough. This is really hard. I felt a bit like Paul, lonely, on my own, doing it tough. And so I thought I'd do a half of the thing. I'd open the page and I wouldn't point. I'd just read from the top. <laughs> yeah. So I opened the page to Isaiah 41. And right at the top of the page is verse 10. And I remember I'm feeling alone. And just remember what the Lord said to Paul and listen to these words. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Wasn't that just what I needed at just the right time? And I've written down that verse and had it on my wall pretty much my whole ministry life from that point on because I remember that touch from the Lord. And I got up from that bench a changed man because the Lord spoke to me and touched my life with a word that I needed right there and right then and there. And the Lord wants to give you a word. The Lord wants to speak to you in your life. Wherever you're at, whatever you're going through, whatever struggle, maybe you've got a a new thing on the horizon that you're not sure of, maybe there's some decisions to make. The thing about that was that that was a fresh word for Paul right then and there that motivated him for where he was. See, I can can look back on that, and I do, with, with... with graciousness and, and thankfulness for, for what the Lord spoke to me and trust that he's going to continue to do that. But that was for then and there. The Lord is continually speaking and will continually give words to you here and now, for right now. If you're holding on to promises that God gave to you years and years and years and years and years ago, I want to tell you this morning, the Lord is on to the new thing. The Lord wants to speak to you afresh, as he did to Paul. But the other thing was Paul needed community. And we need community. We need each other. He needed his life group of Paul, of Silas and Timothy with him to encourage him. He needed Priscilla and Aquila with him to encourage him. You and I need each other to encourage each other, whether that be through the ministry of cake or otherwise. We need each other. We need community. Paul needed community. He couldn't go alone. We can't go alone. We're built for one another. 
That's what church is. It's the coming together, sharing in each other's lives, knowing one another and being known, praying for one another, giving words to one another, encouraging one another, bearing one another's burdens, lifting one another up, speaking words of scripture over our situations, that we would be changed and transformed, that we wouldn't just come to church and go away. We'd come to church maybe even beaten up and bruised and feel like we're stoned or thrown in prison. But after coming together, we go away with great joy, lifted up in our hearts, built up in faith, encouraged to go on in the work of the Lord. Why? Because there are many in this city. That's why. So you need a word from the Lord this morning. You need that same encouragement. And you need your Priscilla and Aquila. You need your Timothy and Silas to get alongside you, to strengthen you and uphold you. Now, when I knew that that was going to be the message I wanted to share and I heard what Willie had in mind for the corporate prayer, we thought, let's, let's have this after the sermon because it really is an illustration and an outworking of the one anothering together. So I'm going to invite Willie up here and I want her to share what's on her heart as she leads us in a way to pray with and for one another. Thanks, Willie. Thanks, Sam. It's just wonderful to hear all the wonderful gifts that are used in the book of Acts. And... um, the gifts that we can use amongst ourselves, you know, to really bless us. And those gifts were given to us because they build, they, they build us up as a body and they also bring us to spiritual maturity in Christ, which is the ultimate aim of all these gifts. I just wanted to share with you something and it's just blown me away how when Sam and I talked this week, how exactly the things the Holy Spirit was putting on my heart was what Sam's been talking about. And one of, one of the gifts of the Spirit is encouragement. And the, one of the best ways to encourage one another is to pray for one another. And I just want to briefly tell you some of my life in the last few months just to show how you as a body and how the Holy Spirit has helped me. During this year, I was diagnosed with breast cancer and so I was going through radiation therapy. And at the same time, my business was the slowest it had ever been. It was a terrible time because I would just see the radiation beam come off and I would think, oh, what has the day got ahead for us now? And the girls would ring me at the end of the day and they wouldn't know how to tell me that it was another day of nothing. And this just continued and continued. And what happened was that um, at the same time our landlord decided, okay, he's going to sell the house. Willie's made this house look great, let's sell it. And so we'd only just been there a year. So on top of all this, we had to find somewhere else to live. And I've got some great friends, and Jenny Pope, she's listening this morning, she just prayed 
through all that every day she would be praying for me and others would be praying. I know Carol and 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 Richard and Bev and Mike would pray. And within seven days of us hearing that we had to find somewhere else to live, we found another place, which is so hard at the moment because there is it's so hard to find a rental. And I just know that it was the people that were praying for us that it just happened like that so quickly. And then... We had to move and I'm 70, Mike's 80 and his next birthday, so it wasn't easy. But somehow we did it and it was through the prayer and support and the love of the people around us. But business continued to be bad. It continued to get so bad in the last seven weeks that I had panic attacks at night. I didn't know how to get through the day. I really didn't. Sorry. And Jenny would pray for me, the Russells would pray for me, the Moors would pray for me, Sullivans would pray for me. But at the end of the day, it would just happen that the girls would tell me, sorry, Mum, we didn't do anything today. And then one Sunday morning I came in and Rob Curtis and I were on the a prayer team and there was no one to pray for. So I said, Rob, would you pray for me? This is what I'm going through. Can, can you pray? And he prayed and he prayed with compassion. I could feel that he cared about what was happening to us as a family and he prayed. A few days later, the craziest thing happened. Suddenly in my mind popped this idea that there was such a thing as the um, a business helpline that the government had put out. So it just was there and I thought, well, I must act on this because maybe it's God. So I rang them and they were so helpful. There's a, a lady there who's helping me with um, interest with the ANZ um, because they're pretty tough and she's working on my behalf. But she also told me to ring the physios at the Centrelink because they will assess whether we're due for a pension or not or whether we can, even though I've got a business. Cut a long story short, we we filled out a million forms and went to Centrelink and we were told it's six to eight weeks before we can get... Um, a pension if we're eligible and two to three weeks on hardship. Well, they assessed us on hardship and they approved our old age pension for both of us within 24 hours. Praise God. And I don't know how we would have survived if we hadn't got that wonderful news. And I know it's people praying and Andrew prayed for me a few weeks ago as well. And so I just know that when we pray for one another, God works in that because we're a body. And so this morning, I would just like us to pray for one another. Um, when we pray for one another, or it's, it's important just to also get in touch with what's in our heart, not, not just what's in our head. Rem- remember a message I spoke about the deer 
you know, the deer and he goes to high places and where his front feet or her front feet land, the back feet also follow. It's the same when we're thinking about things. It's if we, we connect our heart and our mind together, then we go to the heights. And so today, as we pray for one another, let's tap into what the Holy Spirit's saying in our hearts. And let's listen, because maybe he's saying something to the person we're praying for. And if this morning you feel uncomfortable, don't be uncomfortable. It's fine. You know, I'm on prayer at the end of the service and I think maybe Gary is too, so you can always come out afterwards. But let's this morning just pray for each other and really connect our hearts and our minds. And Jesus always prayed, when he prayed for people, it always came out of compassion and I just feel that that is a key of answered prayer amongst the people that we love, is to pray with compassion. So I'll just leave it up to, to you, Sam. Thank you, Willie, for sharing so beautifully and openly, honestly. Um, so what we're going to do now is just... You might have someone particularly on your heart. Feel free to get up out of your seat and and go to them um, and share with them. Uh, If not, perhaps just turn to uh, the people in your row um, and and just maybe just share something that's on your heart, something that's happening that you would like um, prayer for, and then we will – and then just pray for one another. And the the music team um, in a a little while will just just come up slowly and start to play – um, out of that, so please just use those gifts. Speak into one another's lives. Speak life and hope and truth uh, into into those circumstances with compassion. Let's do that together. <coughs> Fantastic, isn't it? Uh, great the way uh, the Lord uh, speaks to us and encourages us, um, both one on one and through His Word, but especially through His people as well. And that's the reason, I guess, we we come together as a family. Um, yeah, the Lord describes the church not as a building, but as people. So it's great to see the church at work um, in this place and. Every day, so yeah. Trust you've been encouraged this morning. Trust you've um, yeah just experienced a touch from the Lord. Uh, whether you're here or joining us online, uh, there's just an opportunity now to catch up um, over a cup of tea or coffee. Uh, as Willie said, she and Gary will be in the prayer room. So if you're wanting to yeah just sit with someone and pray a bit more, just encourage you to go out and join them as well. And just yeah, just pray that the Lord will bless you this week, and you'll just go away from today. Um, Closer to him as a result. So, yeah, thanks, everyone. God bless you all.